Good Vibe Cinema presents Vibe Talking. Hey everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of Vibe Talking, a podcast about films with off-the-charts vibes, films from the golden age of adult cinema. I'm Vic Terry, executive producer of Good Vibe Cinema, and I am joined here as always by my friend and co-host, Manny Beat. What is with Damiano? Women shoving non-sexual objects inside of themselves. That's what we're going to get into today. Oh, what are we talking about? Oh my god, we're talking about so much. And just, I'm going to preface this by saying that me and Manny have not talked about this film yet. So I have no idea what nope. his reactions are going to be. And I have so much fucked up shit that I want to talk about. I've got so. a screen full of notes right here on my phone. I am ready to go. We are talking about... The 1974 Gerard Damiano film, Memories Within Miss Aggie. And I am very excited to talk about this because it's been a hot minute since we've done Damiano. And we talked after our last episode about (laughs) Please Don't Eat My Mother, which was fucking garbage, that we need to start covering some, like, good films again. Yeah. (laughs) Because there's not as much to talk about with terrible films. So while we definitely have our qualms with Damiano and I... I have some critiques of this piece as well. Go back and check out some of the episodes. Uh, we've got um, Devil and Miss Jones. We've got Deep Throat. No qualms about Deep Throat, just to no, clarify. We no. love that. It's love, then hate, then whatever this is going to end up being. You'll have to stay for the whole episode to find out. Ugh, God, I can't wait to find out. I don't even know. Okay. So Memories Within Miss Aggie is a very dark film. I'm going to just start it off with that. So giving everybody a heads up that we're going to be talking about a lot of trauma, both in the context of the film and in the context of my life. So, <laughs> well, heads up for that. And and I'll, I'll really, really simplify it down because I didn't know what this movie was going to be. Like, you had kind of written me a little description on it when I clicked the link to watch it. But this is maybe one of the first erotic thrillers. Mm, yeah. Love that in fact, description. In fact, I saw this one note, and I don't know if you saw this too. I couldn't find any evidence to back this up. But there was a little blurb on Wikipedia that said scenes from the movie Misery were inspired by scenes from Memories Within Miss Aggie. I saw that too. And like, I also don't know the validity, but like, it would not surprise me. Like, there is definitely some The overall plot, like, there is definitely like, because it wasn't until I got to the end of the movie that I was just like, Oh, wait a minute. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were you shook by the twist? Like, did you not see it coming? No, I did. Like once we, once we got to the very like final couple of scenes, I did see that twist coming. Okay. But, um, it was still kind of shocking when it was like, oh, they did like go there. Like seeing it actually yeah. playing out. And it wasn't, it wasn't like it was like really telegraphed before. It was just kind of like leading up to it. I was just like, oh, that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It was very like M, M. Night Shyamalan, like, ooh, what a twist. Very much a psycho homage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good movie. It was um, Damiano trying to do his own Hitchcock movie. Yeah, and I think he did a pretty good job. As always, I have my critiques. I actually have kind of a rewrite in mind for the end. <laughs> what would this classic, show be without that? Classic fucking Damiano falling apart at the end. I feel like this movie was so strong until like the last vignette. It started to kind of, eh, you know. And then they kind of brought it back up at the end. Like the actual end end, I think, is good. The twist is good. But <laughs> we mentioned it on another episode. But Damiano literally said there's one of his films called Skin Flicks and it's 
about an ambitious porn director who has a vision and like it's who used to be <laughs> a, a hairstylist and decided to become a porn director after hearing women complaining about their sex lives <laughs> and he's a real artist with a voice and then he's like in the in that movie he's like his character is like talking to a producer and he's like yeah, nobody knows how to write an ending to a porno. They just kind of end. And I'm like, okay, you don't know how to do it, but that doesn't mean nobody does. Anthony Spinelli does. Endings aren't the only thing. There's <laughs> other things. <laughs> what if you get on a porn shoot and it turns out I'm the director? And I go, wait a minute, this guy yells. <laughs> I'm not auditioning for a porn shoot. You might be a, a year, year from, from now. now. I Welcome. hope I am a year from now. <laughs> Welcome to the I Think You Should Leave quote shoehorned in podcast. I'm Manny V. And with me as always is my friend and co-host, Victor. Tim Terry. Robinson. <laughs> and our secret not always here co-host, Tim Robinson. Okay, so let's... let's uh, Break before, down the story. Yeah, let's, let's start at the beginning. Take it away. Okay, so the premise of this film, which I think is very, very interesting... They're acting like she's an old woman. I feel like she's like 50. Oh, yeah. Older, older woman, quote unquote, past her prime. And she's dressed like a... The actress like is a... like 34, so she might as well be in a fucking <laughs> retirement home by Hollywood standards. So she is uh, reflecting on her life. She's trying to remember when she first met her husband or partner or whatever, who is also this old man who's like in a wheelchair and like they're living out in the middle of nowhere in the snow and they feel like they're very Puritan. She's trying to remember how they met, but for whatever reason, like she is having a hard time grasping like her backstory. As she's reminiscing, she's basically pitching like different stories of like, oh, I think it was like this. Oh no, actually it was like this. But each time she recounts a memory, it is two different actors playing her and her dude. Which I think is really cool. And yeah. I love this idea because I feel like we've talked about this before that like it drives me crazy when pornos like have a million random characters. And like I'm not talking about like an ensemble cast like Touch Me or Sex World or something like that. Well, Sex World, honestly, a little bit. Touch Me, I feel like they really fleshed everyone out. Sex World, Dale, our least go, favorite character. <laughs> go listen to Sex World. We break down which characters you could do without. <laughs> But, but yeah. But I feel like the reason they do this, you know, obviously is like, oh, we want variety. Like, we want to see more sexy naked women. Which, like, nothing Who wrong does with that. It? Nothing wrong with that. Both our hands are up <laughs> in the air right now. But I would like a solid narrative reason as to why we are seeing this naked woman. Yes. And this movie does a really great way of working around that. There's only really two characters in the whole thing. But there are, what, eight different performers? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really creative, cool idea. Should we get to the first vignette? You already set it up. They they start off, the two of them are, are kind of sitting there and they're very much like, you get the sense that they're very much isolated. And then it goes into her memory banks. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. It was one of the last movies Heath Ledger shot when he was still alive. And in order to finish the film, they called in other actors. They had Jude Law, they had Johnny Depp, Colin Farrell, who would actually take on Heath Ledger's role, but it was only in specific parts of the film. So this is, this like kind of reminded me a little bit of that because it's only whenever she goes into a memory flashback mm -hmm. that suddenly she and Richard are played by different characters. And this I thought was like really well done. It was very natural mm -hmm. because the first time it happens, like 
I saw it and I was like, okay, that's supposed to be the younger version of her. And then as the story kind of continues along, you get the sense that like, okay, she's an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. And this is a visual way of communicating that. Which is such a cool idea. I love that. Damiano um, is is not nothing if if not a man of like very bold visionary ideas. Totally. The execution not always there, but he's got some great ideas. My only issue with Damiano is I wish that he had a writing partner because I think he's an awesome storyteller. Well, somebody else wrote this movie. He didn't write this? No, he didn't. Very clearly. It, it, it's so weird. I actually wrote this in my notes. So the movie starts off. They do the full credits. Like, they list every single actor. They don't list, like, which roles are, are playing. Are you calling me out for not reading the credits? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I thought it was so... Because I've rarely ever seen a movie do this. They do the full credits because it, it lists all the actors. Then it starts listing every single member of the crew. The key grip, the best boy, best... Like, all of that. Respect to the team. And they I list like it. they list all those credits at the very beginning of the movie, and it's also another excuse for him to be able to like linger on visuals because mm -hmm. he does that when he sets up Deep Throat. Like Deep Throat gives you a sense of like where they are in Florida. Mm -hmm. It's almost gratuitous, but it's not excessive. But yeah, he did. Uh, I didn't write down the writer's name, but somebody else wrote this movie. Damn. Okay, that is putting a little a little kink in my my thought process. But I here, think I think there was a story by credit for both him and the writer. Okay, because that's what I've kind of felt with Damiano in, in previous films. You know, is that like I feel like his ideas are phenomenal. His understanding of characters is great. So I think he's a really good director, and I think he's a really good storyteller, and I think he's a really good idea guy. But his structures are a little messy, and his endings are always a shit show. Okay. And so, so that kind of, I'm like, okay, why is this happening? So now hearing that somebody else wrote it, like put the pen to paper, I'm like, okay, then like, why is this guy having a hard time with the end? And I actually have a theory, and this almost backs up the theory. I think that the real ending of this movie, or in my opinion, what the ending should have been, was so dark that they felt uncomfortable touching on it. Oh, shit. And that's why the ending is a little, in my opinion, a little haphazard. So I don't know if I want to get right into that. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll get to that we'll, later. Okay, but I'm setting the scene. You'll have to listen to more to hear That's this. what we call a tease, ladies and gentlemen. You're <laughs> going to have to stick around for it to pay off. So, so the first memory that she has is, oh, and I loved this without spoiling it too much, but the whole thing about the sparkling eyes, about him saying, oh, and you had sparkling eyes. Like, mm. now watching it a second time, because I've only mm -hmm. seen this movie twice. I saw it the first time I watched it, which was a couple years ago, and then watching it again today to get ready for this, you know, but now hearing that line, knowing the ending, I'm like, oh, that's fucking good. So <laughs> we'll get to that too. Um, so the first memory is she is like, okay, me and Richard met, very young and it was this like naive sweet thing so they're teenagers she's this yeah this sweet naive girl and he's this like nice guy and it's like oh sorry nice to meet you we can't believe we just bumped into each other and she eventually like invites him <laughs> on this abandoned frozen bridge where no one can be seen for miles and miles which that is something that i think this film did so well is like the ambiance is so good it's so fucking creepy like even from the opening you know like it almost feels like the shining like the snow and the roads that you can't get on and like shit goes down far out there and nobody can hear from you and like you know it has that kind of energy to it well there's um, there's a lot of like like visually there's a lot of isolation and um that's where damiano definitely deserves some credit because it does hearken back to like some of the themes of the story which is isolation both both like physically and mentally 
Yeah. And I think too, what's so interesting is the, the score adds so much to it because like there are, and I was noticing it in, in this one too, because I feel like Damiano stuff always has good music, you know, like I think he has a, well, a, did you notice that, like, um, that they, uh, I forget the correct musical term for it, but, um, the, the score, like it starts off with, I don't even remember exactly how it sounded, but I noticed like it transitioned like right as the movie started to like this sort of version of Amazing Grace. And oh, then I that didn't keeps catch coming. That. Yes, yes, that keeps coming back throughout the film all the way through to the end. You like you'll hear the notes and you'll be like, "Wait, wait. Huh, nah, nah. That's Amazing Grace." Mm. That was really interesting. And if you look more into that, like I I didn't delve too far into it, but definitely that has its own thematic sense. I loved too how just kind of spooky and surreal the music was, mm-hmm. even in the quote unquote like happy moment. So just to kind of get this wrapped up or whatever. And there's like, a scene later on where it really like is used effectively. Mm-hmm. We'll get into it. But yeah, so this this first scene, it's this young girl and this young man out on this icy bridge in the middle of nowhere. And I really like the line to where, you know, she's really playing up. She's like, oh, I'm just... I'm just a young, innocent, naive girl just out here on my own. And Ma and Pa said, like, time alone with boys, like, leads to things. And, and she, he's like, but I'm just going to walk home with you. And she's like, walking home leads to something. And he's like, don't worry about it. But then she totally makes the move. She invites him in. You could tell she wants this and is afraid of what she wants or uncomfortable with it or not fully understanding it. But she's pushing for it. And this whole sequence is shot very, once the two of them, you know, get into bed together, it's very sensual and passionate and a lot of like close-ups and softness you know and soft music and kind of like oh like you know it's both of their first time and it's special you know it's scary but it's special (laughs) And, and on that note that was the thing is i it caught my attention with this first scene then i paid attention every single time there was another sex scene because that's that's something that i'll give this film credit the balance of sex and story which is one of our running themes Mm -hmm. Uh, I felt like this was very well balanced. Every single sex scene had a reason to be in the film. Totally agree. <laughs> it wasn't just like just gratuitous and exploitative. It was a natural progression of like the relationship between the characters. So within this first scene, the the perspective from which Damiano shot it was very much focused on her perspective and her pleasure. Yeah. But with that being said, there is bit of creepiness to it which I felt more this second time watching it knowing how dark the film gets and knowing how I feel like it was going the way that she's talking like you said like it's very almost comedically like oh chucks I don't know about that you know but also she's saying some weird shit like she's like yeah you know it just it makes me feel kind of funny and it's like it's almost like so childish that it's kind of uncomfortable like, even though this is obviously an adult woman as an actor, yeah. you know, and it's like teen love, but like just there's so, the character is portrayed as so innocent and naive that it's like, I feel a little uncomfortable watching that. But I can forgive that because I think what they're trying to communicate is that this is someone who who is aware of their own kind of sexual awakening buttoning with inside them, mm-hmm. but they still have like a childlike wonder at most of the world because they haven't had a lot of exposure. Right. So for her to say things the way that she says things, and it's also like it speaks to the power of the casting because the actress they cast to play this part, she did really come across as like, 
oh, I'm just a young, inexperienced girl. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about like the touch of a man or like what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So that's why, too, I think that it was genius cinematically to kind of like follow her perspective and give us the sense that she's discovering like pleasures and wonders that she thought might be possible, but like had no idea what that would feel yeah, like. Yeah, and her. similar to Deep Throat, like there's a lot of like close ups on her face, mm -hmm. um, more so than on her body, or at least evenly, you know, split in terms of like visual storytelling. And another thing that I thought was so interesting, and, and I remember making a huge note of it the first time I watched the film, is that he comes inside of her and there's not a come shot. And that was something that me and Michael had talked about previous to me watching that film for the first time, like a week before we'd been having a conversation about it. And I'm like, you know, I get that it's like iconic and like we all want to see it, you know, but sometimes narratively, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes if you're having like a passionate, like then for him to be like, oh yeah, let me come on your tits. It's like, whoa, like, okay, that feels a little out of character to me, you know? Like, so I had been, we'd been talking about that and I'm like, that would be really cool if a movie just decided not to have one, like was just like, that's not what my character would do. And then to see the scene literally play out like that, a few days after we had that conversation, I was like, Damiano is fucking killing it as always. Like, well, and I it was so right. I don't know if you remember saying this, but like very early on to the show, you said something to the effect of like, I wish there was like a film studies course that was focused solely on porn. <laughs> yes. And I feel like a whole like section, like a whole like week long discussion would be centered around like cum shots I... and how cum shots are like representative of like the unrealistic fantasy of porn. I mean, yes, and like now that because I, I feel bringing like, this up again, I like, feel like a lot of men that sit there and they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull out and I'm gonna bust all over you." Like it's because they've been influenced by watching porn. Because I can only speak for myself, <laughs> but I can tell you that like coming inside someone feels so much better than having to pull out and bust on them. Like there are times to where you're just like, "Oh yeah," like is that what you like? It's 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 hot. a vibe. It's a vibe. It's hot, but like. Nine times out of ten, it feels much better to just be like, ah, I'm coming. Which, sadly, that's not something we can all be doing all the time. No, but no it's not. <laughs> for logistical reasons. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> I feel like I love that you brought up the film studies because the more we do this, I'm like, wait, am I just going to teach that class? Is that what I'm going to be doing? Like, I literally said, so, like, so when you said that, I literally followed it up because I think this is when we're talking about Touch Me, episode number two. But I literally followed it up and I said, maybe that's what this show is. I love this that. is gonna be you know film studies porn 101 I think that's amazing yeah I, I'm very on board with that <laughs> but I think this would be a great film to break down because of the progression of the way that the sex scenes go and what that says about the characters mm -hmm. as as each scene progresses so she has this very like innocent scene and then when it cuts back to them in the modern day you know Richard says to her he's like you never had that golden hair He's calling into question the details that she puts into these flashbacks that she's having. And so we start to get like, as each one progresses, we get to li a little bit more information about our narrator, who that's the first clue that, hey, what this bitch tells you and what you're being shown might not necessarily be reflective of the actual experience that the character had. And she's having her doubts in the present day, too. Like, she mm -hmm. keeps being like, why can't I remember this? Like, what... Like, what was it? Like, something just feels off. And I'm checking my notes right now because there was so much fucking creepy-ass language in this movie. <laughs> oh, she says... So the whole, I feel funny, was very uncomfortable to me. And then she keeps saying to herself, 
I wasn't bad. I wasn't bad, you know? Mm -hmm. Which, like, we know that Damiano, like, that's something, and maybe that's reflective of, of his background or his experiences or just his views on people and, like, the kind of unfair way that we view sexuality, you know, the stigma against him and his work and the people that are in it, you know? Because, like, Devil and Miss Jones is very much about that, you know? It's a yeah. repressed woman. It's, it's, she never had sex because she, it was a sin, you know? And now she's free There's of sin. There's even hints and, of it in Deep Throat. Yeah, totally. So, it, it, first reaction, like, the first time watching this movie, I'm like, oh, obviously this is about, like, she grows up in this conservative small town and she's repressed and, like, similar. I feel like this is about trauma. <laughs> and the next scene very much suggests that. So the next scene is Aggie, played by another actress, who is rocking the fucking Anne Hathaway Les Miserables haircut. <laughs> very big fan. Over she here, looks very... I approve. Very and then, disheveled. <laughs> and then our boy shows up. Oh, uh, yes. My favorite actor. Oh, fucking, I guess... <laughs> the fucking patron saint of vibe talking. Harry Reeves! <laughs> production manager of this film because he's so fucking talented he I can literally do him. everything i love him so much literally okay I, I, we were auditioning and doing he was like, this weekend i mean like in the 70s and 80s he was literally the most versatile man working in the fucking industry so underappreciated Dude, like no joke harry reams is my favorite actor I, i've said that before on this show yeah. that he's not even just my favorite like porn actor he's my favorite actor period and i was at an acting showcase this week in la and everybody's like oh so who's your favorite actor and i'm like harry reams and everybody's kind of like, wait, who? And this one guy, like, you could tell that he... Harry Reeves! <laughs> yeah, look him up! <laughs> and this one guy, like, I think the gears were turning in his head of, like, I know who that is and I can't believe she just said that. <laughs> but he is genuinely my favorite actor. He's so fucking talented. It's like the story we were telling about someone running into um, oh, Ron Jeremy at church. Yeah. And it's just like, they have to pretend that they don't know who he is. And it's like, oh... That guy with the mustache looks vaguely familiar, but I have no idea who he is. I've certainly never seen any of his films. Harry Reams? I wouldn't know what his car... I mean, what he, who he is. <laughs> oh, you haven't read his book? I have. Oh, I talked about Harry Reams all night. I was like, y'all need to fucking study this man. When you said you wanted to talk about another Damiano film, and then you said also Harry Reams is in it, I was like, yes, in. We need Done. to get back to our roots here. This is what needs to be happening on this show. I need to stop choking. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a little brief intermission while you get that under control. I'm back, baby. <laughs> you're good, you're I'm good. back. Okay. Wait, should I do it? Okay, wait, no, never mind. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> so, this next section, we have fucking traumatized Aggie, who's maybe in her early 20s at this point or whatever, and she is literally masturbating with a baby doll. It Yuck. was so disturbing. The it could be worse. Time, it could be a snake or food. All of those things are horrible. And it's one of those things to where you see it, you're repulsed by it, then you kind of think about, like, well, why, why would they show this? And it's Damiano, like, trying to put something across, but it's like, you could communicate what you're trying to communicate without being so crass. What? Which I feel like is kind of a ridiculous thing when we're talking about a triple X porn, but... At the same time, like, this is a guy who made this film and then felt like it was Oscar-worthy. Not with that scene. Well, Absolutely Here's not. what I'm going to say about that. Just for the record, 
I hated it. I hated looking at it. It really disturbed me to see that. And the first time I watched the film, and it was I shot like, to be unsexy. It is. It is. And that's something that I think we should just clarify, especially as we're talking about the themes and stuff of this movie is like, this is an adult film. This is an explicit hardcore film, but this is not an erotic film. In my opinion, it's not like it's so dark and sad and disturbing that I don't think we're supposed to be beaten off watching that scene. Yeah, it's kind of like the majority of films that we've watched, most of them fit more kind of in, like they they can fall within the same category as Deep Throat, to where it's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be loose, you're supposed to watch it with other people, you can jerk off to it if you want, but you're supposed to watch it and then like kind of store it in the spank banks. Whereas there's a select group of movies, and it is Devil and Miss Jones, it is Sometimes Sweet Susan, and Memories Within Miss Aggie. That are like, these are supposed to like stick with you and kind of like haunt your consciousness. Mm -hmm. And maybe sometimes when you're in the middle of like getting down, all of a sudden something flashes to your head and you're just like, oh, I need to take a little break right now because this is ruining my my thrust game. I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The first time I watched this, I literally like fast forwarded this scene. Like I didn't like completely skip it because I was like, I need to like see what happens in the film. Of that that sequence with the oh, doll. Yeah, I yeah, just no. put it on double speed because I was like, let's wrap this up. Like, I, I'm tired of looking at it. Yeah. You know, it was really, really uncomfortable. And I mean, like, um, look, if, if you watch this and you got to the doll scene and that's what turns you on, go ahead and turn yourself into the police right now. Like, even if you haven't done something, you're going to do something. <laughs> like, you, it's not normal behavior. Which, okay. on that note. Listen, that's-, that's the police coming for you right now. You can hear them. <laughs> Turn yourself in. No. It'll be a lot easier for you if you just go ahead and be like, hey, you know that doll scene and memories within Miss Aggie? Yeah. Did it for me. God. Fucking gross. Lock me up. Throw away the key. But you know what? Maybe this is the time to fucking say the theme of the movie. It's like, where touch on the doll where it happened. You know? Like, it's, like, literally, like, that's such a clear image of that. That it's yeah. like... How are we not going to pretend that that's what this is about? Well, like, and then immediately after that, so she invites Harry Reems in. She's kind of a great dramatic performance. Yeah. And you get the sense that it's like the the trope of the the lonely farm girl who's been locked away by her parents. And like anytime a man sees her, they're like, damn, that's a hot ass legal age young woman you have living here. Like, what's up with her? And the father's like, you touch her, I'll blow your head off or something. Mm-hmm. So she gets Harry Reams to come in and she says to him, I've never been this close to a man except for my paw. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, I mean, is she just saying that like the physical proximity or is she literally talking about the fact that he has her hand, his hand on her thigh? That the only other man who's ever touched her physically like this has been her father. And then she does say, you know, I'm not allowed to go into town. That's where bad things happen. She Mm -hmm. says in that same line about, you know, about the dad is she's like, until he went away. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. did the mom kick him out? Was he arrested? And they don't say these things in the film, you know, like that's as far as they go. But it's like that subtext. It's so close to just being the text. That was my interpretation of the film. And, like, the first time I saw it, I was like, ooh, what the fuck? And then now, like, no. Like, that's what I feel like, I hate to say it should have, because I'm obviously not saying, like, oh, yeah, that would have been awesome. We should have had that happen in the movie. But, like, I'm obviously not saying that. But what I'm saying is, like, from a narrative perspective, like, it being revealed explicitly that that was her backstory 
And I mean explicitly stated, not like watching it explicitly, obviously. But like, I think that that is so clearly what this movie is about. To to this film's credits, and it might be it might be frustrating for certain people. I'm the type of person that I like there to be enough information for me to draw my own conclusions from. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate a movie that gives me room to make my own interpretations of what is going on. And that as I slowly make my way through the movie, I start to gain more information. I'm able to put more pieces together. And then by the end of it, if it's done successfully, there is a cohesive picture that comes together that describes the entire narrative. There were still a few blanks that were left by the time I got to the end of this movie. But as I reflected back on previous scenes that didn't have the context of what came next, it it definitely gave me a sense of like, okay... This is someone who, number one, is extremely repressed, but number two, has experienced a certain level of trauma. And there's a relationship between those two things. And so, yeah, you can definitely draw the conclusion that, okay, her only sexual experience comes from something that her father did to her, which is why her father's no longer in the picture, which is also the reason why she's not allowed to go out and be around other people because she's still like so traumatized that she can't function properly yes okay and that's i think what i'm trying to say is because because i think that that is is implied i wish it was implied a little bit more heavily and or acknowledged to me because like i'll just say without getting too into details like this topic hits close to home you know, mm-hmm. and like the whole thing of like, like repressed memories and trying to make sense of that and trying to heal your own fucking relationship with sexuality, which like, that's what this whole movie is. And there's so many times where there, it's just these like fucking textbook lines of like, you know, she literally says like, maybe I just made it all up. Like, maybe that's why I can't remember. Maybe I was bad and it never happened like that, you know, like, which is just like, it's like, it's so obvious what that why would yeah. you say something like that? It's, you know? it's a self-defense um, mechanism. But but then the end of the movie, and I kind of want to just skip the third vignette and we can circle back to it. But basically the third vignette is like where to me the movie kind of lost a little bit of its integrity. Because Well, before you get to that, like that I, I said earlier that there's an interesting use of the soundtrack to communicate to the viewer what's going on. And that happens within the second sexual vignette. So Harry Reams and, and she, they, they start to get hot and heavy. They start having sex. And this is where I notice, like, okay, he's clearly doing a thing where the sex scenes are trying to communicate something narratively, which I think is a really fucking interesting thing to do. Yeah. And I feel like in, within, within this specific subsection of the genre, that's where you get a lot of storytelling that comes through sexual performances and how they're filmed mm-hmm. and how they're presented to the viewer the perspective of which they're shot from. So with this one, this one is more focused um, on on her pleasuring the guy, on her pleasuring Harry Reams. And what's really, what, what I thought was interesting was, you know, she goes down on him, then they start having sex and uh, they're having sex from behind. So it's it's less of like, you know, kind of the, the um, traditional like, uh, marital position that happened in the first scene and now it's more kind of like we, we're we not making love we're fucking mm-hmm. and to really emphasize that 
in the middle of fucking her from behind, Harry Reams, without saying anything, pulls out of her and then just sticks it in her ass and starts fucking her in the ass. And there's a brief shot where it, it turns around and, and is looking... Uh, it, it's from the front of her and she looks back to him and she doesn't say anything, but she gives a look of like, what are you doing? And then he just goes ahead and then it shows her face and it's that mix of like discomfort because it's painful and it's not something that she's used to, but also this sensation of like, this is new and this is a level of intensity that I've never experienced before. And I'm not sure if I like it more than I hate it. And then she just kind of keeps going with it. And it's very unclear to whether she is into having anal sex or whether she's like, well, he's doing this to me and I can't really stop him. And I've just got to go along with it. It's very vague. It's yeah. very left up to your interpretation. But what they do is the second he pulls out and he puts it in her ass, like the music changes and the music becomes very discordant and like not something that you would enjoy listening to. And so that's trying to communicate that like there's a lot of mixed emotions going on and it might be bringing up something traumatic for her. And it might just be like this whole thing of like sex has gone from like a loving sort of thing for her to like this carnal experience to where she's just like, am I being used? And if I am being used, am I enjoying being used? Like, is this actually what I like about sex is that I am just serving to get this man off? Is that ultimately like what turns me on? There's like, it was really weird that I was able to read so much from this whole scene. Yeah, and that's something, I mean, it's very disturbing and it's very dark, but it's a good fucking movie. Like, like literally what you just described, like that's powerful, yeah. you know? It is uncomfortable, but it is like, it is an intense story. And like the, the visceral sexual nature is like the driving force between expo- for exploring those emotions, yeah. you know? And then that's why the third vignette really fucking let me down. Because it's like, there's such a clear, like, progression between, like, the first and the second. You know? It's, like, sweet to more brutal. And then the very, very end is, like, incredibly brutal. So, like, to me, the third one needed to be, like, like almost the conclusion of something. And so what, what the third one is, is, like, she's basically fantasizing about herself being like a a, a, a call girl or whatever a in, a, in a brothel in like mm-hmm. the wild west or something you know like it's which is so like which is another thing we haven't even talked about the the time period for this movie is very undefined it could be 1930s it could be 1960s it could be the 1890s like it's it's very vague in the time period, which I think is reflective of just the mental state of our main character, Miss Aggie. Yeah, but to me, just personally, like, it felt cartoonishly Wild West. Like, when you take a picture at the fucking fair and they give you something to wear. And it's, like, after how, like... It could have been a themed whorehouse, though. It, to me, it's goofy. I'm sorry. Like, it was distracting to me. Like, and I will say, like, that is undoubtedly the hottest scene in the movie, because that previous scene is not fucking hot at all, you know? Like, it's it's way too much. It's way too, like, kind of incestuous and, 
Like, it's it's gross and disturbing and dark yeah. and and clearly intended to be so. So I'm not even critiquing. And then also, it, like, you know, if like, you're if you're if you're having sex with someone and it's your first time having sex with them, get consent before you start doing anal. It's you definitely know, a good it's, thing it's, to like touch base on. At yeah, some point. it's it's very simple. It takes a few seconds. Yeah, if they nay. say no, they say no. And if they're like, sure, try it. Like then you got the green light. Go for it. Don't just stick it in. Like the fuck are you doing? Yeah, and and so this fucking Western shit, which also was kind of a trip because and and, I, and now like knowing my own theories and stuff of the film, like I'm like I can read into it and make it work. Like she's, it was very interesting to me because it's like in this sequence she is being overtly sexual in a way that she hasn't been in any other point in the film. Yeah, and she is very much controlling the narrative because she this guy is watching her masturbate, you know, and she's putting on a big show. And she's saying in her, like, narration of, like, I was so good. I was good enough. I was, you know, good enough to be wanted. And and as she's, like, climaxing, she's, like, just love me. Just love me. And she's, like, sobbing. Like, so it ends up, it does still go to that dark place, you know. And so, like, you can read that as, like, you know, she has intimacy issues. Like, it's interesting that in that moment when she's, quote, unquote, potentially maybe the most, power like, power in the scene, you know, which mm-hmm. I realize we haven't brought up recently. Hashtag um, power in the scene. You know, she on paper has the power in the scene because she is the driving force of this transaction. Oh yeah. She like is... I definitely felt like within this scene, even though her John is the person who set this up, who agreed to the whole situation, just the few glimpses that you get of his face, it seems very much like he is intimidated by the intensity of her sexuality. Yeah, and it's a moment of her controlling her own sexuality, like literally the fact that she's masturbating and not being touched by somebody else. You know, like we talked about in And she's like barking um, out orders to him as she's doing it. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, like in the sense of that this is the way that her having control, like the way that that is being manifested in this moment, the fact that like there's this like hypersexual thing, the fact that there's all, all these like clear kind of physical boundaries that have been you know, seeped into her subconscious, you know? So it's like, I feel like it still kind of goes with what's going on. Yeah. But to me, like, honestly, the aesthetic of it, like, to me just felt so like, oh, she's crazy and she's having this random memory, which also, like, the setup to that, literally to trigger the memory, she, like, picks up her cat and she's like, wait, I remember I had a cat. And then it's like this dramatic zoom of the cat's face. And then now there's, like, a different cat, like, in that room. And I'm just, like, stop. Like, if this movie wasn't so disturbing, like, this is honestly kind of funny and could be a meme, like, the zoom on the cat, yeah. you know? And then, like, just, yeah, the costuming and that whole setup. Like, it to me, it just took away some of the emotional weight. And I feel like that could have been an intentional choice. It could have been a, hey, this movie is getting really fucking dark. Should we just put something kind of hot and fun in here for a minute? You know, like, yeah, like, like narratively, it it feels like a letdown. It did need like a little change in like the tone and the intensity to just ease some tension. Um, Because you you have that like with with really good like thrillers and even horror films, there will be like a comedic moment that breaks up the tension. So that way the audience can relax. I mean, it's literally the fucking thing we talked about with Deep Throat where everyone walks in. And they're, they're uptight because they don't know what they're about to experience. They just know that there's an uncomfortability around the entire subject. Yeah. And then you ease that tension. I mean, fair, but, like, to me, like, with this particular film, like, just the gravity of what's being 
covered, you know? And then also, like, the just tonal inconsistency, because then the next sequence is where, like, it's kind of the end, you know, which we find out. Well, before we get to that, I do want to say, so one of the things that they do about the cat, to, to really to really express to any of the audience members that haven't gotten it at this point, is she's holding the cat, and then she goes, I never had a cat. I don't even like cats. And then she literally throws <laughs> the cat so on the ground. It was so stupid to me. I literally laughed stupid. out loud in that moment. It was and, so stupid. And it's because it's because that's what ends up happening when you feel like you have to talk down to your audience members. Yeah. It's very difficult to come across as like natural and not pandering, for lack of a better word. But one of the other things that I felt about this scene was it did continue the progression of just like she starts off as an innocent and it's focused on like her sexual awakening and her pleasure and her arousal and everything. And then it, it jumps to like her being more kind of driven by desire and then getting confronted with like, you know, carnal pleasures that she's not sure if she's on board with or not to like just straight up like now she's she's almost in a manic state of her sexual arousal and her sexual desires to the point to where like literally this fucking man could be anybody. This man could be any sort of phallic shaped object to which she can use to get herself off. Because like the way that she like, cause they don't even have sex. Like she sits there and does most of like gets most of the way there on her own. Just being like, yeah, do this. Oh, grab my ass. Fuck my ass. And then he gets into bed with her and then she's just, they're 69 and she's sucking him off. And after he fucking comes, she is still like so intensely stroking and sucking on his dick that you get a sense of like, this is a manic state for her. Mm -hmm. And then for her to sit there and like question within her own memory of like, was I actually like that? I didn't work at a whorehouse, did I? And you start to get this sense of just like, okay, what's her grip on reality? And then also like... Is this her like realizing that she has these deep, like repressed desires that now that she's starting to analyze them, they're shooting up to the fucking surface with such a level of like force that she can't hold them down. She can't hold them back. She can't control them. And now she's like losing her own grip on her own internal reality. And then our next step is just going to like seeing how all of that traumatic shit has like because that, cause that was one thing that I feel like could have been framed a little bit better. Because then we end up getting to the reveal of how did she really meet Richard. Mm -hmm. And she's at church. And she says, like, I had finally, and like... It's, and it's the same actress that, that's been in the wraparound. Right. So, like, and it's present, the same present actor day. who's been playing Richard in the wraparound. It's just them without the old people makeup. Which was a little bit janky. But we can get into that later. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, there's definitely some community theater vibes to this piece. Oh, yeah. No, overall, like, <laughs> this entire thing, and you wrote that in the description, this entire thing very much felt like a stage play. It did, which I like. That had been translated to like film with, with sex scenes added to it. Yeah. So she's in church, she's leaving, and she said something along the lines of, like, I had finally made peace with things, or something like that. And what she says, which this was, to me, the disservice to the film, is, like, what she has made peace with is loneliness of being single, of being a spinster. You know, I wish it would have been framed as she had made peace with what happened to her, you know, yeah. and I think would have been a more spoiler. impactful film. Spoiler. She has not. She has not made peace with Jack shit. So then she's leaving, she's walking home and she sees Richard. Who's this random dude. Who's just kind of coming through town or whatever. He's a drifter. 
And she's like, hey, do you want to crash at my place for the night? She's so excited to just have a person, a man, at her house. What's crazy is for a porno, he's like, nah, bitch, I don't want to... I don't want to impose on you. In fact, I would rather not. <laughs> I'm good. And she's like, she's like, please, I will pay you to chop wood for him. And he's like, I mean, like, I guess like if it gets you to stop badgering me, sure, I'll come and do it, but don't expect anything else from me. Like he literally does not want to be there. Like this is a guy that's trying to walk himself to death. Like very clearly, like he's a person that's just like, I'm alive because I have to be. I have no other choice but to be alive. So he gets back to her place. She's immediately being weird as shit and is like, hey, here's like my dad's shirt. Do you want to wear it? And then also, should we bang while you're wearing it? Like, again, this is not fucking subtle. This is the goddamn text. <laughs> like, you yes. know? And then he's like, um, I mean, it's kind of a cool shirt, so I guess I'll wear it. But like, that's it. Like, it's going to stay on. Like, like, you know? I mean, I guess I'll wear um, it. The shirt doesn't smell like my ass and armpits had a fist fight. And sure. then it's like... She's like, oh, you know, let me make you some tea. And he's like, yeah, I don't really like tea. And she's like, yeah, you do. Here it is, you know. Which she she's does like, say the, the way I brew too. tea. And then, she, you know, she's asking, like, do you have a wife? Like, and he's like, oh, not anymore. You know, why? Well, because, you know, she was trying to make me into something I'm not. I feel like a lot of people try to just project onto you, which clearly is what she is doing. And so finally he's like, okay, I'm going to go to bed. And then she, he wakes up in the middle of the night and she's standing there. Oh, and she has him go stay in the memory room, which is mm. like a room with all kinds of like old antiques and whatever, you know, which I feel like would have been more fucked up and more impactful if it had been like her childhood bedroom. I kind of wish that's like the room from the first scene. I wish that's what they had done with it. But she goes in. Is that, I was expecting, I was expecting when she said that it was going to be the shot of that little, uh, I forget what kind of bed it's called, but it's the one with like the metal frame to where like, it's really high on one side. It's low on the foot side. Remember from the first scene yeah. when she looks back and she's like questioning her own memory and she looks back at the bed and the bed's empty. Yeah. I and I was really expecting that was the bed she was going to send him to. This is dropping the ball. This is what we're talking about, about Damiano yeah. not coming through in the end. Like that is such, so feels like such an obvious thing to me. He's so close to being a fucking great filmmaker. And she's standing there. What was she wearing? Her mom's wedding dress or her grandma's dress it's like the, an old white dress yeah um, she puts on this like old white dress with like nothing on underneath it so it's it's this weird mix of like she's trying to be like sensual and she's trying to like make herself into like an erotic sexual being but like she's doing it in this incredibly awkward and stilted sort of way and straight up creepy that's the bizarre thing about it, because we always talk about how when we're watching these films, we're always guarded against, you know, whenever the filmmakers just don't understand, like, consent and, like, you know, what is actual rape versus, like, what is just seduction. And this is, like, the gender opposite of it. Yeah, which, you to know... where he's just like, bitch, I just want to sleep. And she's just like, are you sure you want to sleep? Or do you want to stay up and, like, see what is under my dress. And he's like, no, I want to sleep. He's I like, very I want to do wanna literally anything besides he's that. He's like, in fact, I would rather get up and walk out into the cold night than like spend another second in this situation. He's just like, before you do that, sh bust out a knife and start the longest fucking knife I've ever fucking seen. Dude, this knife, I was watching it. The knife was so fucking long. They needed a 
knife with stage presence. Okay, and they got one. This was, was like a fucking knife for like when they did the stage version of it, and there were people 150 rows back. <laughs> but like, we want this fucking What's knife she to read. What is that? She's like using her hands to like pull it out like a fireman's rope. It's so fucking <laughs> long. It was like a fucking cartoon, dude. It was ridiculous. The longest fucking knife ever. And so she cuts out his fucking eyeballs. She violently stabs him in the fucking skull. Just pulls out this knife and you're just like, oh no. And then like the second that your brain starts to realize like what's happening, fucking Damiano's like, gotcha, bitch. And (laughs) just fucking, yeah. She's just like, she's like, I'm going to pierce your brain with this long ass fucking knife through your fucking eye socket. Which, as this we mentioned... This poor fucking bastard. He knew he shouldn't have stayed there. Yeah. Like, stranger danger, dude. Don't dude. fucking do that. But how good, though, is the sparkling eyes now with that context? Yes. Like, I was like, damn, that's fucking, like, that's that's kind of gnarly. And, know? like, I feel bad if there's anybody that's listening to this that hasn't actually watched the movie. Because now we fucking spoiled the whole it's fucking thing. It's such a thing. spoiler. Maybe put that in the description. Yeah. Major spoilers. But <laughs> watching it and then getting to that point. Because that was the thing is, like, right, right before this whole sequence starts to happen. I was like, okay, I'm getting the sense that Richard is actually dead. Mm. And that she's been talking to a dead man this entire fucking time. Which, of course, she fucking has. The reason why I picked up on that was because right before this whole vignette starts, this fourth memory flashback, they're only filming Richard from behind. Yeah. And his head does move a little bit to to give you the sense that, like, oh, he is talking. But clearly there's a twist of, like, what's on the other side mm -hmm. of him, you know? Yeah, they're telegraphing it at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I started to get really suspicious so when she comes into the room, I was just like, oh no, bad shit's about to happen. And then, whoosh, bad and then shit does. does happen. Another terrible thing happens. Yeah. And then she's like, then she finally remembers. And then we like see old man Richard as like a fucking skeleton. And it's like, oh my God. Wow. Being alone all those years, being a spinster, being repressed led to her insanity. And then that's kind of wraps up the the movie. Yeah. This is where I feel like the movie had a disservice done to it. Because she, clearly the fact that she murders Richard and keeps his dead body in her fucking house for however many years. Because it almost seems... Keeps his dead body in her house and then fucking reminisces with the dead body about experiences that she never actually fucking had. Except for the one experience where she fucking murders his ass. But that's the way that the movie narratively is... Like, that that's the payoff. Because obviously her killing him is a twist and, and the reveal that he's been dead the whole time is a twist, you know. But she's it's framed as if, like, the reason why she can't remember things is because the trauma of the murder affected her so deeply. Right? Whereas I feel uh, like... Yeah, that's one way to read it. That was how sure. I took it the first time I saw it. And I was like, damn, that's a little bit of a letdown because I felt like there was such an obvious thing going on here and it felt almost like a... We didn't want to touch that. We didn't want to go there. Which, like, I get it. Like, that's fucking horrible shit. But it's like, then don't make a movie that has those undertones so strongly. Because to, to have all those hints of, like, abuse and trauma, and then to say, like, oh, because she was, like, a horny old woman who never got laid, a la Miss Jones, you know? Like, yeah. to me, that's a disservice to the character and the story. 
so what I feel like should have happened and now watching it a second time with that context of the ending and the, the themes, you know, watching it a second time, I'm like, oh, this is totally what, like, I wish instead of the third vignette, or if we wanted to keep the third vignette, because I do feel like there's something like intense and unnerving about her like aggressively masturbating in this manic state. I wish it wasn't Wild Wild West because it's too theatrical <laughs> to me. I'm sorry. It was too much. You know, we're not watching. I wish it would have been her in a motel I mean, room or something. I mean, to be fair, you know? they didn't um, have like, you know, saloon brawls and, and horses They and almost shooters. did. Like, it was so close to that. Let's see her in a grimy motel room with a just a gross John, you know? Like, let's do that same scene. But That's a, your whole aesthetic. A, okay, don't judge me. Like, <laughs> but I wish that, just to me, it would have felt more grounded. And since everything else has been so grounded and dark, I wish that they would have just continued with that tone. To me, it was distracting and took away a little bit of the emotional intensity. So we could have got that sequence in a motel room and then I wish we would have had a shot of modern day Aggie actress, but like dressed in a very youthful look. Like I wanted just like a sad shot of like her holding the doll, her outside of like a therapist's office or her like in her bedroom hearing her parents fight in the next room. I wanted them to like acknowledge that. Like if that is the story that like, like I'm not saying we need to see a scene of her playing a, a young person and the dad is another actor. And like, we, I'm not saying we need to see that. I would not want to see that, but I wish that they had just explicitly acknowledged that like, that's what happened to her. And like kind of the same way that like sometimes sweet Susan did it, like maybe something more similar to that. Um, I think that would have been such a powerful moment of, you know, modern day, 50-year-old Aggie, but she's wearing overalls and she's holding the doll and you hear the mom being like, get the fuck out of here, you know, you piece of shit, you really, I can't believe you did that. Like, hearing that and having her just, like, dissociating, you know? And, like, making it very clearly established that, like, these issues have been there the whole time. And that that's why, like, it's so kind of uncomfortable and strange the time she loses her virginity. It's so dark and weird the time that Harry Reams comes the way that the reason why she's pimping herself out you know like yeah. I wish we could have just had that like continuity and like really express that because no that's not hot and that's not fun and nobody wants to fucking see that but it's like this film is already that dark like let's just show some respect and just like go there you know and like even though we have obviously talked about that like it is a very unfair assumption to suggest that like you know all adult film actors come from a tragic background like that's not true mm -hmm. we know that you know but like we can't pretend that like that shit doesn't happen Damiano could and I'm totally making it a just guessing here I don't know I'm not trying to project on anybody but like you know, Damiano could have friends who are in the biz or actresses or people that he knows who have had certain types of experiences. Maybe someone in his life has had those sorts of experiences. We just, we don't know. Well, and I think that's the reason why this movie is as unsatisfying in its conclusion of its narrative because it really does, like, it's, it's like the real life, like, translation of, hey, you know what? We don't talk about these things that we should definitely fucking talk about. And a lot of things get left unsaid. And so a lot of trauma gets repressed. Yeah. And a I lot feel of desire, like a lot of wanting. Like so much of these things get swept under the fucking rug. And then that just fucking creates this fucking monster that continues to grow and accumulate out of sight. 
and then eventually you're just like, oh, fuck, where did you come from? And, this, like, and it's like, bitch, I've been here the whole time. And the whole cycle of abuse, you know? Yes. And the fact that given that we don't acknowledge that that's the story, it just feels like Aggie is this, like, crazy person. When she's killing Richard at the end, it's like, oh, that's such a fun horror movie twist. Like, she's fucking nuts, you know? Whereas, like, everything else has been such a sensitive, sympathetic portrayal of that character in every iteration. And so it's like, it, that was really disappointing to me. And I would yeah. have rather seen, like, if we acknowledged that, like, we see that. And now we know, oh my god, that's what happened to her and that's why she can't remember. I feel like, you know, up until this point, we've had such a sympathetic and, like, nuanced like character study going on and then it just becomes that she's this like crazy zany horror movie villain you know and i really wish that instead we would have as an audience seen and acknowledged that's what happened that's why she can't remember things and that's why she does what she does at the end yeah i think this harkens back to our final assessment when we talked about the devil and miss jones in that damiano just kind of cops out and doesn't go the full length, doesn't pay off the character in a way that is at all satisfying given like everything that was set up beforehand. And so to just be like, oh, well, you know, some bad shit happened to this girl and then she like repressed those traumatic experiences along with her own like desires and everything so deep down that it eventually manifested itself in like this psychotic murderous rage that she doesn't even understand herself. And you got to expand on that a little bit more. You got to mm. give a little bit more than just like, well, she killed this dude and then she just keeps his dead body around. It's like, yeah, but we want to know, like, where is this character? And is she going to, like, take the step of, like, accepting, like, what happened to her and how that's caused her to act? Or is she just continuously left in this loop because that's literally how fucking devil and miss jones ends she's just caught in this continuous loop of like self-torment and dissatisfaction the reason why we go and watch movies is because we want to see a satisfying narrative pay off in the end because life itself is not like that life doesn't have a neat ending and beginning it's it's so many like hanging threads and things that get left unsaid and things that never get fucking resolved and we want to see that resolution because that resolution is fucking gratifying it's satisfying for us so it's like you need to pay that off in these movies that's yeah. what we fucking need out of this i feel like the ending of it should have been like this was all aggie's confession this was her like like speaking to a reporter or a detective or somebody and just saying like, yeah, like I, I, I killed him. Like these are the things that happened to me and this is what caused me to kill this guy and I know that I'm wrong and I'm guilty of this. Like if that were to happen, then that would have like, it, it would have been a much more satisfying conclusion than what we got, which was very much open-ended. Mm -hmm. That being said, I do think this is a great companion piece. Like if you watched... Devil and Miss Jones and this back to back. There's a lot of parallels between the two movies, almost to the point to where you could almost feel like this character of Miss Aggie could become Georgina Spelman's character in Miss Jones, who ends up killing herself because of her guilt. And then she's just like, oh yeah, I never got to experience any, any of these things in life. I mean, even the fact that like there's a parallel directly between the two Harry Reams scenes, because yeah. in Devil and Miss Jones, yeah. He's the one who introduces the pain and pleasure of anal sex 
to that character and he does the exact same thing in this movie. Yeah. You know, he comes in as a teacher. You know, another thing too is I don't think that it needs to be spelled out that like, yeah, she's a victim of abuse at the hands of her own father. But it was so vague to where it's just like, look, if that was the thing you were trying to express, I don't know why you didn't just go ahead and express it. Do you think that would have made a difference in how you felt about the movie if, if they would have explicitly expressed that? Or? I actually do. Like, that is my number one gripe with the film. Because the first time I saw it, I mean, and I still feel the same way. And I'll, I'll just say this, like, for anyone listening, like, considering if they should see the film or not. It's really dark. It's really disturbing. It's a hard watch. Don't watch it if you're trying to watch something sexy. Don't watch it if you're trying to watch something fun. Like, you know, it's just... <laughs> if you want to have a good time, movie, this is not you know? the movie to it's watch. It's not. It's a really hard movie to watch. But if any of that resonates with you in any way, I think it is a fairly well done movie. I think that the acting from every single person is really good. I think that the structure of it is really innovative. Um, and I think some of the thematic elements are kind of powerful so I would recommend it knowing that like if you are ready for a hard watch you know and you want to think about those things have conversations about those sort of topics like maybe it would be a good thing to watch but otherwise absolutely not I feel like though yeah that was my my biggest critique is like I do feel like almost it was doing a disservice to the characters to the topic I wish it would have just been said. I think it would have made the character more sympathetic. And I think also, like, yeah, like you said, like, we don't talk about this shit. And that's why it keeps fucking happening. Yeah. And I can definitely see the decision being based around, like, well, this is supposed to be an erotic film. And that is not something that most people are going to be turned on by, or at least not the people we're trying to reach. So we're not going to flat out say that. But it's just like, okay, then why have any sort of like hint at it. Right. And that's what I think is the problem. Cause that was the thing is like with devil and miss Jones, it wasn't that she was repressed because like horrible things happened to her in her childhood. It was that she was repressed just because one, that was just her personality type. And then two, it was just reinforced by her religious beliefs. Yeah. And I, I feel like with this film, cause that's where it gets weird too. So I, I forget who said it, but I was reading a review, like a, a review from like a film critic at the time who did not like this movie. Yeah. And he was basically saying, he's like, why is Damiano so like fucked up? <laughs> like, he's like, this guy is doing like all these like sad, grotesque, disturbing films in like the name of pornography. Does he like, hate sex like what is this and then this critic is also saying you know with that being said with damiano's body of work like is the implication that like it can't be hot and good like that if something is artsy and intriguing like it has to be disgusting and then if it's like hot it's like trashy and lame or whatever you know and damiano was like um no like i'm trying to make movies that have stories and characters and sometimes like life is fucking dark he's being very confrontational with his material but it feels like he thinks about what's confrontational but he doesn't complete that thought and think about like well what should the conclusion to this and be? i think maybe what is the lesson i want to impart on audiences maybe 
part of that problem is him or maybe part of it is the audiences or the distribution companies or like I feel like there's other factors because we've talked about this before in the sense of like this was a moment in time where movies like this had never existed before people were trying to figure out like what a film can be a brave new frontier yeah and I think that Damiano wants to tell stories that are about human sexuality and because this is the genre that he's working in they are explicit hardcore films but i don't feel like he's trying to make erotic films i don't think i mean not all i'm i'm generalizing here because deep throat is sexy and fun but like i don't think memories within miss aggie is supposed to be sexy i think it's supposed to be about sex I feel like this less so than uh, Devil and Miss Jones. I think Devil and Miss Jones, there's supposed to be stuff in there that is meant to be like titillating and... um, Because Devil and Miss Jones is more thematically, like tonally it's more similar to this, but thematically it's more similar to Deep Throat. Like it's empowering. It's like, don't hold back. Like don't shame yourself, you know? Whereas I don't feel like that's what this is about at all. I don't think this is, you know, I think this is about trauma more so than societal repression and judgment of sexuality. Oh, very much so. So it's like, I wish that that would have... And I think that's something that is confusing to viewers and reviewers and whatever is like i'm watching porn but like i'm watching people have sex but like this is not hot and and i think that that just comes down to like a discussion of like and this is open to opinions i guess but like defining the genre should we can we do people want to see movies that are pornographic but that are not spicy and fun Well, and I think that speaks to a lot of conflict within Damiano himself because I think the important thing about him is that his movies are all from a female perspective. Mm -hmm. They're about female characters. It's about their experiences, which I think is such a huge thing for the genre. But I think ultimately he is at conflict with himself because he is filming explicit sex scenes He's very much focused on like capturing like male and female pleasure, showing the males ejaculating, but he's also at the same time just saying like a lot of this stuff is like weird and uncomfortable and there's a lot of trauma involved with it. And he's making the viewers confront that almost to the point of like not telling people to be ashamed to be like aroused by any of this, but just sort of like, You can be aroused by this if you want to, but I'm also going to make you fucking uncomfortable with what's going to come next. Yeah. Like with with dialogue that's spoken within or immediately after the sex scene that you just watched. And that is something that I love about Gerard Damiano and like why he is one of my favorite filmmakers, like despite some of his like technical shortcomings or whatever. He's so fucking interesting, but he's so like, he comes up short so many fucking times. Because another thing that I really want to talk to, and I know that we got to wrap this up right now. But I just want to say that the fact that they considered this to be an Oscar-worthy film, because they literally, like, submitted this. They went on a marketing campaign to get this nominated for an Oscar. And it's just like, bro, look, you've got an interesting story that you're telling. But as a filmmaker, you can't just, you can't just be like, okay, we've got a stage play script, but we're going to shoot it on camera. 
And then that's literally all we're going to do because it's like, you're not doing anything interesting with the visuals. And like, the thing is, is like when you're doing a stage play, the way that you accentuate things, the way that you, you get the audience to focus on what you want to focus on is you use lighting cues, you use crossing stage direction, you use sound mm -hmm. in order to get people to focus on a thing so that the other side of the stage, they're not looking over there when nothing's going on. When you're fucking making a film, you literally control the audience perspective and it's like there's so many shots where they don't do anything interesting visually. Yeah. And it's like you're not going to win an Oscar that way. And, you know, I did just say I think everyone's a good actor in it, which I still stand by that statement. But yeah. Richard and Aggie present day very much. It was so dry and so boring. And it was so a little like, and I'm, I'm conflicted because I've told you like I like things that feel a little fake and theatrical, you know. But they feel very fake and theatrical, which, like, for most people watching is not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, no disrespect. But, yeah, it feels like a community theater performance of, like, well, I done wonder whatever happened back then. Like, yeah. it's, it's a little silly. It's really interesting community theater, but not anything that I think is award worthy. Like, that's going to be my ultimate, like, assessment of it. But I will say... This is a film that if you have any interest in the genre at all, like definitely check out. Yeah. It shouldn't be your first Damiano film that you check out, but like if you watch Deep Throat and you like it, like then watch Devil and Miss Jones or watch this in any order that you want and you'll get a good understanding of like who he is, the ideas that he has. And from there, I think that's enough for you to go out exploring. Yeah. Of course, Agreed. use our podcast as a fucking guide so that you can sit there and look at what's the next film we're talking about. Oh, Touch Me? Go watch Touch Me. Then listen to the episode. Oh, what are you talking about next? Devil and Miss Jones? There you go. And just follow that path. I And I'm not saying this is an advertisement for our podcast. Obviously, if you're hearing this, shit. you're Except already fucking listening. But, <laughs> yeah. If you're already fucking listening, like just, just follow along. Like It's a journey that you can go down with us. Because for all you know, like as you're hearing us say shit... We're literally saying it in the exact moment. So there you go. Exactly. It is now plug time. Yes. Oh my God. So much. So much plug. exciting stuff happening. Major vibe shift. We're done talking about traumatic shit and talking yeah. about fun shit. I mean, we could sit here like and talk for like another two hours. Like the film I just made about trauma. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to say fucking blew my goddamn doors off. Oh, you just talk. I'm excited to hear you talk about it. So... Vic, I remember very clearly, like, Vic and I, when we were, you know, just, we were working through, like, okay, what is vibe talking? How's vibe talking going to work? We, we, like, we were neighbors, so we were able to hang out a bunch. And then just one night, we were out walking, and as we're walking back, you're like, hey, I have this idea. And I started writing it. It's in very early stages, but that was the first time I had learned anything about Frankie. And you pitched it to me, and I was like, this is a very bold and very ambitious idea, and... I think if there's anybody that can pull this off, it's definitely you. And then as more and more of it came together, it just became so exciting. And then you said, hey, we are shooting. These are our dates. When can you come in? I have a role that I want you to play. And it is a silent film, but it is so fucking powerful. And in the way that, like, I say that Damiano is doing things and leaving it open for interpretation... There's a lot of interpretations to be had from this because there's no explicit dialogue, but visually there's so much being expressed and it was a really incredible experience to be able to actually watch this up on a big screen with a fucking room full of people. It was amazing. 
And I'm so fucking proud of you, of Michael, of Cassidy, of Danelle, of fucking every single person who worked on it. And if this interests you at all, and I'll let you, I'll let you give the premise of the film. But if any of that interests you at all, like you should definitely check out the links, Good Vibe Cinema, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, you're gonna fucking I, I feel very strongly that anybody who sees this is gonna be like, wow, that was that was really amazing. Oh, thank you so much. I love it. You love it so much. And your performance was so fucking good. Literally, how like like cause cause your scene is like very like like choppy and trippy and like at a very yeah. pivotal moment, you know? The whole thing like, is like very dreamlike and it's it's like this like it's this poetic dream that keeps spinning into a nightmare and then keeps coming back into like this this ongoing dream. Like it's it's so well captured and what's really cool is like there's a lot of stuff that I recognize from like the neighborhood that we lived in, but it works so fucking well for the visuals that you're putting across. Yeah, I just I'm so unbelievably proud of how this project turned out. And like And you should be. You absolutely should be. I like I don't even want to give too much detail because like you you said, like there is a lot of open to interpretation, but the very rough premise of it is that it is about being a person, being a woman, being a writer, an actor, an artist, like any or all of those things. A I think it could appeal spirits. to a lot of people, a creative spirit. And the way that that can take a toll on you. And um, there are a lot of themes of my favorite go-to theme of like performance versus reality and like the fine line between when you are a public figure and you are putting yourself and your work and your personal feelings and ideas on display, like for sale for a crowd you know like yeah. it can it can fuck with you you know so that's what it's about um but it is a black and white silent film shot on our 1974 yashica 800 electro super 8 camera so the visual style is fucking bomb uh it is a dance piece it is a oh, yeah the fucking choreography in it is if you are into dance choreography alone like definitely watch it for that. And just visual storytelling. And of course it has the good vibe cinema, gritty, but fun, but dark, but weird like thing, you know, and everybody in it is like a classic movie monster. So that's yeah. kind of a fun element. And like, and because it's the eight millimeter, because it's the eight millimeter and it's shot, uh, it, it's, it's presented in black and white. It does. There are some moments that are very haunting that are very much that like classic hammer universal monster horror film sort of feel. And and like what was so perfect is when I watched it, the first time I watched it in its entirety, mm -hmm. it was on fucking Halloween. Oh, the premiere party was incredible. Dude, <laughs> it was so fun. It's I'm so sorry awesome. to those of you who are listening to this that you couldn't have been there, but you had to be there. It was fucking great. Yeah, it was incredible um it's also only 25 minutes so please just watch it it's really good yeah. um, so and if somebody wants to watch it how do they watch it yes so um you can get there through the good vibe cinema instagram if you're already following or whatever which you should be either way um but we have an instagram for the film it's frankie on film dot movie and if you go to that instagram there's a link to like the website where you can like purchase the film. We have it available online to watch and then we have like DVD copies as well. Um, Support independent artist. Yeah, it's 
I'm stoked, and y'all should definitely watch it. It was really fucking cool, and all you guys like killed it. <laughs> yeah, definitely two very enthusiastic thumbs up. Uh, what else might you be working on? Um, we are doing a Christmas show. It oh, is. Oh shit, we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this. I know this is coming out in November, but to me, this movie felt like a Christmas movie because of all the fucking snow and shit. So I was like, <laughs> this is the time. Um, we are doing a sketch comedy variety show, holiday show at the Palms in Twenty Nine Palms, which is a really really cool venue um michael and i have done some stuff there before and like just rad peeps um so that's gonna be really really fun we're combining forces with like our good vibe cinema san diego crew is working with some really cool artists from that area and it's gonna be it's gonna be a really fun night so that's gonna be december 16th it's gonna be a saturday night you've written several very funny sketches i've written a couple of sketches as well uh so we're really excited about that that's in the works so by the time you're listening to this, if you're anywhere near the area, if it is not December 16th yet, then uh, mosey on down to 29 Palms, California, right near Joshua Tree, and come and see our show. It's going to be awesome. Hell yeah. Um, and then if this is any time after that or just whenever, of course, you can follow us. We've got um, Good Vibe Cinema Instagram, Good Vibe Cinema TikTok. Uh, we've got Vibe Talking Instagram, Vibe Talking Threads, Vibe Talking Twitter. We've got uh, Good Vibe Cinema on YouTube, mm-hmm. where you might be listening to this episode right now on YouTube. Um, but we've got a lot of other like shorts and different stuff on there. We've got a lot of stuff from Frankie, from Big Feet, from uh, Coming, Coming Soon. soon. <laughs> it's all on there, and there's going to be more shit. So please, stick around. And if you want to reach out to us uh share any ideas if you want to send us a phone sex script yes always down for yeah. that <laughs> um or literally anything else if you want to support us any way that you can it is going to be vibe talking at gmail.com so please reach out check it out follow us share this with everybody that you know and we will see you on the next episode awesome good night guys good night Want to hear more? New episodes of Vibe Talking are available to download and stream every other Tuesday on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love to listen. You can see more Vibe Talking on the Good Vibe Cinema channel on YouTube and follow at Vibe Talking on Instagram, Threads, and the X-rated version of Twitter. Vibe Talking is a Good Vibe Cinema production.